Get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
that in this ridiculously cold weather. I know, people are like, you are used to this. You never get used to this. So I actually, actually, I kind of like it, to be honest with you. It is, it is so, especially when it's beautiful out and cold, turn on that heater, sit by a fire, 
thaw your frozen pipes out. <laughs> they just don't make houses in the south like they do in the north, you know? You know, did you hear how quiet that got when I said that? That's because Texans get offended if you say anything less than perfect. You make houses, what I meant to say is you make houses twice as good as they make up north. See? Yeah, that'll wake you up in the morning. All right. All right. Welcome to the place where we lie to each other all the time. Uh, it's good to have you here this morning. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. I know we have some visitors here today. And if you're watching by way of internet, we're glad that you've chosen to join us. Uh, we... Uh, this is our home. This is not Carpenter's Way. It's a building, but the people around you are Carpenter's Way. God calls us together to encourage each other, and we're glad that we're doing that. We are in, right now in the middle of a study. Actually, we're still starting a study. I know it's going to be long. But uh, we find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning uh, as we are looking, talking about from 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 1 and 2 Timothy that this is personal what we do. It's not religious. It's not business. Um, it, it, this is a personal thing between God and us, and uh, we will continue on that this morning. We're glad to have you here today, and uh, our hope and our prayer is certainly we want you to like us, but our, our real hope and our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus having been with us this morning. Uh, for those who are visiting with us, in a moment you'll see that we're going to take our offering. Uh, that's for those of us who attend here regularly. Uh, if you are visiting with us, just pass the plate as it comes by. We do not want you distracted by money. We, we want you to see Jesus this morning. We want you encouraged, so participate in every part, but that... And uh, anyway, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, Carpenter's Way family, if you'd open your worship guides, there are a few things I want to highlight real quick uh, that are upcoming. Uh, number one, I want to mention, ladies, on the uh, third side of the worship guide, women's Bible studies will be starting up in the next few weeks. And the information on, those, on two of the studies are in there, so please take some time, review that. If you have any questions, you can call the office or talk to Julie, uh, and uh, she would be glad to answer questions on that. I want to mention we have TNT this week. Uh, information is there. Uh, also, Wednesday night, we have a very special Wednesday night service uh, for adults. Our adult Bible study is going to be doing a mission moment. Uh, we do these a lot, uh, or probably about six or seven times a year. This mission moment is going to be missionaries that uh, are in town that we started supporting January 1st. Uh, they serve in a part of the uh, globe where it is illegal to be a Christian, and so we are refraining from putting them on the Internet and putting their names in here. Uh, but I would encourage you to come and join us. Uh, most of you do not know them, but uh, we will be introducing them to you on Wednesday night, and you'll be able to hear what God is doing uh, in places that you can't even imagine. So I just really want to encourage you. I know even if Wednesday night is not really something you're able to do every week, this is a really, really important one. And uh, we're being vague on purpose, and you'll find out more Wednesday night. Look, I, I want you to understand, and you probably are beginning to get this from the election and everything else, but there are no private places on the Internet now, and uh, we have brothers and sisters, many, many of them. Um, there was a study last week that came out that said the most persecuted religion in the world right now is Christianity. Uh, last year alone, I don't know how to get these statistics, but uh, it was, it's the, uh, I think it's the Consortium for New Religions did a study and they say that over 90,000 believers, followers of Jesus Christ, were martyred last year. 90,000. And uh, as time continues and those Lord tarries, we will continue to serve Him and send folks and support those who serve. Uh, I keep wanting to say behind the Iron Curtain because I grew up in that. But uh, in countries where it's illegal and even you can be killed 
uh, tried and put in prisons or killed for presenting the gospel. That's what we're going to be participating in this year with this family, and uh, we encourage you to come out and meet them on Wednesday nights again. We will not be recording this. This will not be on the Internet, so please uh, just join us. It's 6.30, and uh, so you know, we also continue uh, every Wednesday night. We have children's programming that Alicia leads, and then we have Wednesday night uh, student ministry for junior high and high school, so uh, that will be going on at the same time as well. Um, I think that pretty much does the announcements. Oh, uh, as you can tell, we've, we've de-Christmas Christmas our, our lives. Some of you will keep your lights up till about June when it warms up. Uh, but uh, it's over. And I just want to take a moment and say, you know, I really appreciate um, Jeff uh, Bonin. Uh, he, we, you know, that about a year and a half ago or two years ago, we started installing these LED lights, and it took us some time to figure out how to use it, 70 of them, the computer programming and all that. And over the last year, uh, you, you may or may not notice, but uh, Jeff has gotten to be kind of a master at it. And uh, the stuff, that, the changes in lighting over Christmas and all, that's all stuff that he does. Uh, and the decorating on stage. And he and Micah this week put up some wood slats for us uh, just to change it. Now, I know every time Jeff does a change, I get the question, what does it mean? What does it mean? Those are wood slats, and I'll figure something good out and uh, make it sound super spiritual. But, uh, you know, Je Jeff and Alicia, they kind of serve in the background, especially Jeff uh, when it's outside of our student ministry. And I just, I just want you to, to realize how much he does around here and love on him a little bit. But I really like this. I've had several of you mention uh, that. And uh, so uh, you'll know when I start taking over and designing these sets because they'll, they'll, they'll look really bad. But uh, that's all for the announcements now. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. And I'm going to commit our service to the Lord. We're going to get back to why we came, and that's to focus on Jesus Christ. Again, thanks for being here today. We're glad that you've joined us, and our hope and our prayer is that you're encouraged having been with us today. So, Lord, we love you. We're thankful that you would call us your children. Thank you that we who, a Colossians says, were once enemies of God have now been drawn close because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for a wonderful holiday season, and I thank you for, um, for post-holiday. It's kind of nice to get back into the normal routine of life and, and uh, into the comfortable schedules in which we live. And Father God, I pray that 2017 would be a different year. That, Lord Jesus, we would see you more. We would experience you more. We would feel your presence more. We would believe in you more. We would run to you more. Uh, ultimately, I pray that we would make you the center of our universe in 2017. Not just as a, as a, a church organization, Lord, but as individuals. We do love you, Lord. We just sometimes forget how how wonderful you are, and we take things back into our hands. So, Lord Jesus, we pray uh, We pray for this year. We pray uh, for our families, for our churches. We know a lot of folks are out sick, and others are taking kids back to college. We pray that you would fill their hearts with joy, even in sadness. And, Lord, heal those that are ill. And, and God, um, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. shelter 
in you, my God. And may you give me rest. You are my refuge and my safety.
your great name. Yes, I stand in your grace and I praise your great name. Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Could it be? 
Yes, I surrender. Oh, 
Powerful prayer. Thank you, worship team. I forgot to mention this morning that Jim Kennedy and Sharon have been married 50 years this week, right, Jim? That's a long time there, Jim. (laughs) Is that the silver anniversary? Is it gold? I thought 30 was good. We've been married this summer 30 years. It's like the aluminum compared to them. It's like (laughs) 50 years. That's a long time. Congratulations, you guys. What a testimony to faithfulness to our Lord and each other. I'm sure they would be glad to tell you that it hasn't always been easy, but man, oh man, 50 years. Thank you. It seems like like, uh, the vow and the commitment and faithfulness to each other has taken a backseat to feelings a lot in this culture. what an exciting time. I, I love the new year. I love, uh, you know, I love setting up for Christmas. I love Christmas music. And, uh, but there's something really awesome about when you take the decorations down. I know this just kills some of you. But when you te- take the decorations down and it's all clean and you kind of get back into the normal schedule of things, I love that. I just, I just like the, 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 the straight line of normal life. And, and Christmas is much more fun to me because it's, it's, such a, it's such a break from that. You know, starting at Thanksgiving, you know, we, we, we overeat. We, uh, but you know what's cool about the holidays is there's a lot of meat. So as a diabetic, you can just go nuts. It's, if you are a doctor in this room, no need to email me. I've read the books, okay? It is, uh, not only is it a wonderful time in the new year, but... You know, it's, it's really, I, I'm convinced that there's like 18 people who are mad and they get all the press and the news. It is a wonderful time to live, you guys. I mean, it's a wonderful time to live. And I know there's not a lot of amening going on when you hear that because we hear so much bad news. But how great is it that we can come into this room, this living room? And by the way, if you haven't been with us long, this is just a living room because you can't all fit at my house. I mean, we're a family and we gather around God's word every week a couple times and, and, and want to hear what our dad has to say to us. But, you know, 150 years ago, there'd be a, a, a wood stove in the room, and that's how we try to heat this place. But isn't it wonderful that we have heat? Amen. And for those of you who refuse to come into this place, make sure you give online, but because but you want to be warm. <laughs> you want to be warm at home. It's nice staying home. I mean, the holiday season was kind of cool this year because uh, they told us the weather, as usual, they're about as wrong with the weather as I am football. Whenever I call a game here, have you noticed that they lose? So... Uh, I seem to be wrong, but uh, this was supposed to be one of the warmest uh, winter seasons on record, and I got to tell you, weather people, you are right off. That's right. This is cold, but I, I, it's kind of nice. It's romantic, you know, and, and we're excited. Our, our home is excited because Hallmark now 
takes their Christmas movies and refers all references to Christmas and puts it towards winter? Have you noticed, guys, that the stories are all the same? <laughs> Ladies, you weren't aware of that until I just told you. And then, uh, what, what is it, Julie? And in a couple weeks, it'll start being what? Is it Valentine's Day? And then after Valentine's Day, it's what? Spring fever, that's right. <laughs> and then I think they take the summer off and replay. Oh, and then it's Christmas in July. And then, so... Thank the Lord for Hallmark that reminds you that we're only 11 months away from doing it again. <laughs> but the new year is great, and it's such a wonderful time to live with technology, uh, our ability. Do you realize that 150 years ago, you didn't have access to commentaries and stuff? You really didn't. You didn't have, a, unless uh, a lot of people didn't even read. And so even spiritually, all the material that we have available to us, it's a wonderful time too as the world gets darker, as our country becomes more divided, as it becomes more political, what a wonderful time to represent our dad in the world. And you don't even have to talk, you just have to live hope. You can't fake it though, it doesn't work. It's a wonderful time to be on this planet. And if, if your worst fears or most uh, powerful prophetic truths are right and the Lord is gonna return in our lifetime, that means that in all of history, in all of the thousands of years that the world has been in place and man has walked upon the dirt here, you and I were chosen to be the last generation of believers before the return of Christ. Do you realize what a privilege that is? You don't realize that. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning. It is a privilege to be counted as worthy to live in such a time as this. Amen. Do not buy the lie. Don't buy into all the junk out there telling you how terrible it is. It is terrible out there. That's what life is like without Jesus. It's supposed to be chaotic. It's supposed to be terrible. I am blown away at the number of people who destroy their lives and then talk about how empty their lives are. Or I can actually add that to the church. How many Christians who actually feed their flesh almost every day in their lives but wonder why they don't have the joy of the Lord that's talked about in the scriptures? You know, there is some personal involvement. And, and the opportunity to walk with God is a choice that you make. To surrender. You can very, you know, the, the amazing thing, one of the amazing things um, about salvation is that salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. You can be saved in God's kid and just be a lousy kid, but you can't expect to experience the joy of the Lord while living in your flesh. It just doesn't work. That's what we were redeemed from. You were not, as opposed to what evangelists often tell you today, you were not saved to keep you out of hell. You were saved to be adoptable. And then God adopted you into his family to fill you with his spirit so that, well, as his workmanship, you can do the good things he called you to do. You are, you are chosen, you are tasked, you are special in God's plan, and you are tooled exactly the way you need to be tooled for the task he has given you for a time such as this. I know that it's chaotic and dark out there, but in here, it's warm and safe and a joy. Don't let the church or the news media pull you down because this is a wonderful time to live. It's a wonderful time to live. Um, I remember a time, though, uh, when I, I was thinking about this this week before I get into our text. I, I remember a time, we, we've taken our kids to Disney World one time. We've been to Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm in California a few times, but Disney World was a one-time occasion for us, and, and I think when uh, Annie goes off to college, uh, I found out from the Haley's this week that you can actually go to Disney World on your own without grandkids and kids. So at some point, Julie and I will make that trek because frankly, Disneyland is a waste of money on children. Um, after we bought our, got to our hotel and spent all the money on that, and after we got the pass and we got in early, you know, they opened the doors at nine with the big dancing thing at the front. <laughs> That's what my kids did at Disneyland. Um, 
but as, as, that, as, as they open the doors and you run as fast as you can. And we, I remember we went over uh, as fast as we could to uh, a place where Goofy was going to be and he ride a roller coaster and they pick one kid to ride with Goofy at the, front of, at the front and Zach was that kid. He got to ride, oh yeah, oh isn't that wonderful. So by 10.15 we were off that ride and then it's like, okay, next ride. It's starting to warm up in the day and we're having a good time. By 11 o'clock my kids are going, Dad, when do we go back to the hotel and go play in the pool? <laughs> I spent an enormous amount of money to be here. Oh, we're not going back. In fact, now we're going to Space Mountain. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, well, let's just say that I rode Space Mountain alone. <laughs> and uh, one of my fondest, most horrific memories of my marriage is coming out at the end of the ride, and there's Julie and Annie and Zach sitting on the bench like that. <laughs> Men, when you go to Disney World, just follow the family. You know, um, it's funny because uh, as I think back on that time, it is really ironic that uh, it isn't just in that area, but in, with, with my kids at least, uh, they're always looking for the next party. Zach uh, and I love breakfast foods. We like, we, like, we like parties. And so when our kids were growing up, every meal was a festivity. I mean, it was like, okay, well, let's go to Cracker Barrel. Let's do this or let's do that. We're gonna have this. And so we'd be doing that. And right about the middle of the meal, you could count on Zach saying, so what's for lunch? And it isn't just my, my male child. My female child, I would tell Julie, uh, Friday is our uh, day off. And right around noon, we, we usually go out on a date. We'll have lunch out and we'll do shopping and pay bills and <laughs> quite a date. Um, but we'll be eating lunch and I'll say something to Julie like, well, it's about time we should hear from Annie. And sure enough, bing, I get a text. What are we doing tonight? Sometimes, actually probably for most of us, we're always looking for that next rush, that next thing. And at times we forget that that we're in a most privileged of positions. You know, I, I know that that's how we're made. I, I mean, you're putting your Christmas lights away or maybe you put them out in your yard at Christmas and you're thinking, next year, I'm gonna do this. It's gonna be bigger and better. And we forget how precious the moment is. This thing that we have been invited to participate in called God's plan, it's, it's amazing. Don't miss it. You are on the inside of what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is doing in his world. You, you are on the inside of God's work in his universe here on the planet and out there as you look at the stars. Scripture tells us that he's in control and he's directing and guiding each piece of that. And it's ironic that so often we miss the precious nature of being his kid too. It's a lot like the church, this gift that God has given us together, the local church, it's a lot like Noah's Ark. We, we dismissed the kids, so I'm going to be a little bit more raw. It may be full of junk at times, but it is the only thing that floats, and it does float. I mean, I, I want you to think for a second about Noah's Ark. There's eight people out of all of mankind that were in that boat, locked in by God himself. And although they didn't want to be outside, a year inside with nothing but each other and animals is a long time to put up in close places. And you can imagine that they start biting at each other, and, and I think it's easy to assume that since one of the first things that Noah does when he gets off the ark is plant a vineyard and then get drunk, <laughs> you can tell what kind of life they had. It was very difficult, but you know, 
if you're not careful, you begin to resent the very thing that is there to keep you afloat. I have no doubt that the animals were hard to deal with. I have no doubt that the family was hard to deal with. I have no doubt that the wall of the ark probably leaked water, and every day you had to throw buckets out that window. But it really was a blessing to be inside of it. And I think it is the same with the church. It is a precious, awesome, valuable time to be alive, to see what's going on, to see the similarities of humanity throughout history, but also to see technology push it forward, to see people's acceptance of God and rejection, to actually be able to impact a culture that wants to live to mean something. There's a lot of jokes out there about millennials, but I got to tell you something. I love the millennial mindset in that they don't want to just live to work. They want to work to live. They want a job that makes them feel significant. And if we can help them understand through the truths of Scripture the value of walking with God, they will walk with God in a way our grandparents and parents and even we never have because they will be fully committed. The, abs- the, the millennial today, the young person, the college-age person, if they buy in, they are willing to live in poverty in order to accomplish a task. The problem is that sometimes we're so busy complaining and griping and actually devaluing our walk with God and devaluing the church. They grow up in homes where we go to church and otherwise we don't talk about God. What are we teaching them? That this is a religious thing. You know, for about two and a half months now, we've been talking about that this is personal, it's not business. But in all the teaching and all the scripture that you've memorized and all the songs that we sing, unless you actually believe that and buy into it, unless you actually value what it is that God has done on your behalf and live that, your kids will not believe it either. Every generation will become less and less interested in the truth. And I do mean the truth. This weekend was Passion, or this last week was the Passion Conferences. And for those of you who don't know what that is, Louis Giglio and his wife began it, uh, I think, maybe 30 years ago, a long time ago. And they gather for a few days each year, and it's become huge. And uh, they did it this week, and we watched a little bit of it online. Uh, One of their speakers this week was Beth Moore. And uh, I want to quote to you what she said, and I want you to think about this. Speaking to millennials or college kids, she said, you will watch a generation of Christians speaking to them. You will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. Take a breath and think about that. They will set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will perhaps be the cleverest of all of the devil's schemes in your generation. Sacrificing truth for love's sake. And you will rise and fall based upon whether or not you sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live the tension of both truth and love? I want you to understand that Satan has done an effective thing in our culture. And a lot of it has happened very quickly, not just through the racial problems in our culture and the church trying to compensate for bad decisions of the past, but now in the the whole debate over homosexuality. The church is trying to figure out how we love a homosexual while also maintaining that it's a sin, just like adultery or whatever other things you list. Gluttony, fill in the blank with whatever sin, but what is happening now in the church, and I add the evangelical churches, there are many of our leaders that are beginning to say, I'm not so clear on whether or not, as long as they're monogamous, I mean, it doesn't matter. And here's the irony of that. When you start stepping the scriptures aside in order to love, you have nothing but love you might as well be a hippie smoking dope in Southern California. I picked that particularly because I grew up around that. 
You see, no matter how much you want to care for a person, uh, love a person, it has to start with what is true. I may feel like I'm loving a drug addict by giving them more drugs, and they may like me more, but at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm just hurrying along their self-destruction. And the fact is that men are sinners, born in sin, under the wrath of God, and unless people deal with their sin, there's no hope for them beyond this life. And, and yes, I understand that the church in the past has made mistakes, but that's, uh, we, we have made mistakes because we've left the scriptures. We've taken them out of context. We, we, we misquote scriptures because we want to get to the relevant stuff, like how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife or, or, or how to be a good child or how to raise good kids. I want you to know those are all fine conversations, but they have nothing to do with the word of God. You see, the word of God drives you to God and as a result, the fruit of his spirit who is guiding you and directing you transforms how you're a husband and how you're a wife and how you parent. The church has actually invented a place, and I mean the evangelical church, the church has actually created a way for you to be Christian without Jesus Christ. That is so dangerous. And it is the first step to what we're going to see now with the scriptures. Well, I don't know what the, I hear this all the time. I don't know what the Bible says about that issue, Pastor Mark, not all the time two or three times in my time here, especially as I've talked about alcohol. I don't know what the Bible says about alcohol, but I know what the Baptist church does, and you don't represent that. That, my friends, is dangerous. When we start saying, this is what I want to believe, or this is what I think is right, no matter what the Word of God says, we are on dangerous ground. Do you understand that? The measure and ruler of everything we teach has to be God's Word. And if my feelings go against what God's word says, then it's my feelings that are out of whack, not God's word. And that is why we men and women don't worship the word of God, but we set our doctrine firmly planted in this book. God gave us three things to help us survive and thrive down here while the storms of chaos rage outside. Number one is God's word. God's Word. Number two is the Holy Spirit. Just like with the family, just like with uh, slavery, just like with so many other things between the Pentecostal church relegating God the Holy Spirit to a worship experience and the conservative church relegating God to merely the convictor of sin, Satan has effectively removed the possibility of a Christian having a personal, intimate relationship with the third person of the Trinity unless we push back. God the Holy Spirit wants an intimate, personal relationship with you, just like God the Son and just like God the Father. The third person of the Trinity is still part of the Trinity. He's not the force of Star Wars. He's not an it. He's real. He's personal. And he lives inside of you. And when we relegate him to a worship experience or a convictor of sin, then where is he as our guider? Our counselor, as Scripture says, the illuminator of Scripture, the one who directs and guides, who prompts me. It's, it's funny how we deal with the Holy Spirit because most evangelicals will say, sure, he guides and directs, but I just don't know his voice. I'm not familiar. And we'll be driving down the road. And this is a common example. We talked about this last Tuesday morning uh, or the week before with the men. Uh, you're driving down the road and you see somebody broken down and you go, I, I think I should stop, but I don't feel like it and I'm in a hurry. How do I know if that's God or not? And the answer is, just stop for heaven's sake. What's the worst that can happen? You didn't hear the Holy Spirit, but you helped him with a flat tire? I mean, it's really funny how, how overly concerned we are when we don't like the voice that we're hearing. You catch that? 
That's what we do. It's what I do. Oh, that can't be God. Why? Because I must teach. Well, now I'm one of the religious leaders in the story of the Good Samaritan. I must make my way to temple. Otherwise, I would be glad to help that woman with a broken down car. I mean, it doesn't matter what the issue is if you're having, you know, dinner at Applebee's or you're at the mall and you're in a long line or you're getting a ticket for something you did do but you wish they didn't notice. It doesn't matter. The truth is you find yourself in these moments where you're really mad and the question is, do we allow God, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God to transform our reaction and our behavior or do we just say, oh, I'm not going to, I'm just, that's just my weakness. Haven't we done that with gossip for the last hundred years in the church? That's Bertha. That's how she is. Well, has anybody thought about telling Bertha that she shouldn't be like that? That's later in 1 Timothy. But for now, we have to understand that there are three gifts, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the third gift. The third gift is the one that we least value. I mean, you come, we go to church, but we don't really understand how precious she is. A little bit like Disney World, that day there where you're spending $5.2 million on an experience. We, we don't realize how precious it is. You know, like when you go to Outback and you spend 100 bucks for a steak, and you're wondering how you're going to top that with dinner. I think I'll just take half my steak home so I can have this experience again. I mean, we, we don't realize how precious this is. And the reason we don't realize how precious it is is because we're not doing it the way it was supposed to be done. We're so busy trying to figure this out. It's become an evangelistic network. It's become kind of uh, a moral bastion of community, which, which is fine. It's a place where we learn how to parent. It's a, like I said, it's a place we learn how to be a good husband, a good wife. All those are fine reasons, but those aren't God's reasons for birthing us. Actually, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 tells us the value and, and why it's so significant. He said, uh, the author of Hebrews says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God is trusted to keep his promises. So stay faithful to the truth. Let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage each other, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This becomes precious as that becomes more chaotic. The answer for the child of God, when, when you hear the chaos of the church in the world, is not to abandon the church, but to find and help make the church healthy. This is our safe space. This is where we come to together as God's kids and remind each other that our daddy is still in control, that it's okay, that this is prophesied, and we will make it or not, but we will make it after we don't make it. We forget that it is well with our souls. We forget that even an eighth of a second after we die, we get to see our daddy who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And we exchange the Holy Spirit for all the promises God made. And he is faithful to keep his promises. That, my friends, gives us hope. Hope. Hope is the commodity that's missing in this culture. And nobody can have it but the church unless you're wasted. Seriously. I'm going to add that caveat. If you can, you can drink yourself out of hopelessness for temporary periods of time. You can smoke yourself out of hopelessness for, for uh, short periods of time. You can even adulterate yourself out of hopelessness for short periods of time. But at some point, that rush wears off. For some of you, men especially, you have, you have drunk yourself out of hopelessness by looking at porn. It's a secret. Nobody knows. And you think it gives you a rush. At some point, that porn will become empty. There's never enough drugs. It never stays at alcohol or marijuana. It, it grows and it takes over and it's, it, it consumes you. Well, God wants to consume us. God wants to consume us. But the problem is that a drink or a smoke or a toke or a shot or adultery is a rush to our flesh. Let's, let's stop telling half-truths and let's admit it. If it weren't fun to be seen as hot, nobody would do it. 
But the Holy Spirit in us is there to say, look away, my friend, look away. You see, we act like we shouldn't be tempted as the children of God. Jesus was tempted. It's not a matter of being tempted, it's a matter of what you do with it. And that's why it's so dangerous for Christians to replace truth with love. Real love grows out of truth. And as you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and you study the scriptures, the Holy Spirit begins to transform you into Christ-likeness. And Jesus was the perfect marriage, we would all admit, between love and truth. And by the way, anybody who thinks Jesus just loved everybody the way the world is defining love has never read the gospel. Because everybody thought Jesus was a jerk at one time or another. I'm sorry, I know you're not used to a pastor saying the word jerk and Jesus in the same sentence, but the truth is, if you read this book, nobody was more frustrated with Jesus' message and ministry than the disciples. The crowd's leaving, don't you care? You gonna follow? Well, that's not very nice. He should have said, I care, but you have to understand. You see, I came to do this. He doesn't do that. He just looks at Peter and says, you gonna go with him? Well, that's not very nice. Peter says, no. Why not, Peter? Because there's nobody else who offers us eternal life. The Holy Spirit told you that, Peter. Just keep following. When Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him, it wasn't a cute little saying. He meant it. It's hard to do that. It goes against everything in you. In fact, with man, it's impossible. With God, the Holy Spirit, it is possible. That's why we live at the most wonderful time in history. Because the Holy Spirit is ready and prepared with the guidance of the Father and the Son to direct and guide you through whatever this year brings. And it's going to be hard. Life is hard out there. From the attacks of the world and Satan to even the attacks of some who claim to be part of the church. And unfortunately, like my kids at Disney or even the eight eight folks on the ark, too often we don't realize how wonderful we have it, the tools that are available to us, and what a gift it is. And I feel like God desires me to remind you uh, regularly how precious this is. The church of Ephesus, which is who Paul is writing to in 1 and 2 Timothy, had descended into chaos when Paul sent a young pastor, Timothy, and his task was to guide this church back to health, to, to, to become again what God designed her to be by refocusing this flock on their task, their message, and to help the flock understand the roles within the church so that they could once again be a safe place she was created to be. If you take time to study, and I mean this is a tough study because this text we're in right now is one of the most offensive, controversial texts in all the New Testament. And to understand this text, you can't just read 1 Timothy chapter 2. You've actually got to go to all all the letters written to the church of Ephesus in the New Testament, and there are many. You've got 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. You've got the book of Ephesians. You've got Jesus' letter to Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3. I mean, look at all this. You've got all these letters. And to understand the character of this church, to help us understand what's going on in this church, you've got to look at all of them. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Acts tells you exactly what's going on in, in, in the church of Ephesus. It is chaos. And when I mean chaos, I don't mean for their annual business meeting or their monthly business meeting for those of you who... For those of you who grew up in, in community-driven churches, the fact is we're talking about weekly service chaos. Um, this church had a passion for truth, for doctrine. 
It's what they were known for. But it lacked the love for God and each other that you need to have in order to keep the church from turning into a war. Satan wants chaos. It keeps us off message. It keeps us feeling alone. It keeps us unsure and unclear of our task, of our message. It keeps our focus off of God. And ultimately, it gets us to the point where we start to doubt what we believe is even true. So Paul sends Pastor Timothy. And God had Paul write Timothy a letter. And in these two letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul coaches Timothy or mentors him on how to get this church back on task. He begins by wanting Pastor Timothy and the church to understand their unique roles within the local church setting. That is all this is talking about. This is not talking about parachurch ministry. This is not talking about men and women in the community. This is not talking about who should be leading and president. That has nothing to do with that. This is talking about the local church setting of Ephesus that is in absolute chaos. And over the next two or three weeks, we're going to look at these together. This morning, we'll address three of the five. We're going to look at the role of pastor and teacher, which we've pretty much already talked about. We're going to look at the role of women, his conversation with women in the church and men. In the coming couple of weeks, we're going to look at the role of elders in the church and the role of deacons. So I want to pray, and I want to ask God, I know you're like, he's just starting. I'm almost done. So uh, Lord Jesus, I ask you to help me speak clearly. I pray that you'll help me choose good words. I pray for open hearts and, and tilled hearts that will hear what you have to say, not what Mark has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 2-7 give us these instructions. He said, Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for who? Help me out. We're going we're gonna to interact a little bit because I want you to get the, who he's talking to. We, we go to scripture. If you're a daily bread Bible student, you have got a lot of stuff that we've got to unlearn. Because this is to you, Timothy. That's important. Everything in the scripture, Old and New Testament, is written for us, but not everything is written to us. You've got to grasp that. In other words, it is incumbent upon us if we are going to divide the word truthfully to understand who's being written to and why they're being written to here. Just so you know, that's part of my job. My job is to help bring context to your, to your study. But he says to you, here are my instructions for you based upon the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. I want to stop and first say, Timothy, Pastor Tim, you're going to war. It's going to be hard on you, buddy. That's so important for the pastor teacher of the church, not the whole elder council, but for the pastor teacher, the, one, the, the, the leader among equals. It's a hard task. It's going to be war, especially in a church that's already at war. And he tells him what to do. Verse 19, cling to your faith in Christ. Brother, don't get your eyes on the church. Keep your eyes on me. Don't forget what the point is. Don't forget your message. And keep your conscience clear. That's the second thing. You all know that. A pastor should not be committing adultery. A pastor should not be smoking dope. <laughs> a pastor should not be drinking himself into a stupor. A pastor should not be telling off his flock. A pastor should not be freaking out the family of God during election seasons, telling them that if we don't vote right, the, all, all the prophecies are going to be fulfilled, as if you could stop them. A pastor's job is to keep his conscience clear, keep on message, hold his hope in what God has done, not what he can do, and, and, and keep going. That's what we do. Keep your conscience clear. Why? Because some people have deliberately violated their conscience, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out uh, and handed them over to Satan so that he might learn not to blaspheme God. Uh, we've already discussed this, so I'll keep merge, moving. I urge you, Timothy, first of all, pray for all people. So a pastor teacher has to be a person of prayer. 
He's telling Timothy to pray and ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks to them. You know, a pastor's primary responsibility is these, and he's going to get more specific as time goes on, but my job is actually not to marry and bury you. Did you know that? It's okay. I don't mind doing that, especially bury parting, some of you, but the little joke in there. But the fact is, the fact is, it's not my job to make sure that we have the best looking building or that we're the fastest growing church. That is not a part of the responsibility. The responsibility is to cling to what is true, cling to what is true, keep your conscience clear, and also pray for your flock, pray for everybody. That's what what I'm supposed to do as a pastor teacher. He gets really specific later, so I'll keep moving on. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked like godliness and dignity. Oh, so a pastor's job is to live at peace with kings. Anybody who gets politically active from the pulpit is not doing that job. I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry, you can disagree with me, but it is not the job of a pastor to be a patriot. You want to be a patriot, stop being a pastor and go be a patriot. The two are not mutually exclusive, but when I'm at the pulpit, you've got to pastor communists, uh, Marxists, whatever. You pastor everybody apolitical, pro-political, right, left, in the middle, and, and, and we've, we've left that. We're off message. So pray for the kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and all humanity, the man Jesus, or Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. That's why we don't get a military man, we'll talk about this later in Timothy, doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. Wait till you find out how specific he defines that. My job is to pray for you, to see some saved, to see others educated, encouraged. It's not to start wars. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. As the pastor teacher of this local church of Ephesus, Paul instructs young pastor Timothy that his primary responsibility is cling to his faith in Christ, keep his conscience clear, and pray and minister to his folks. That's his job. Um, again, more on this later, and if you don't agree with this, that's okay. I'll, I'll, we'll, we can debate it at a, at a later time when we get more into t- uh, Timothy's responsibility, but let me be clear. It is not the pastor's job to be out in this community evangelizing the lost. That's your job. It's the pastor's job to make sure you're equipped to do it. Did you know that? You see, the interesting thing about this gift called the church is the pastor is your gift so that you can ask questions. You can kind of wrestle through scripture. You can bounce things off of, and he can pray for you. Pastor, pray for me in this. And I got I to tell you something, okay? And this is just inside. This is just me being vulnerable for a second. I do get, I do, t- it's, it's very heart-wrenching to hear, I don't know how to say this. It's really hard to, to listen to how much pain there is in your life but that's the cross you carry to be a pastor teacher. It is. It's hard to hear that some of you have family members die and that some of you are sick and you're having trouble with your children or you're having trouble with your spouse. It breaks my heart. It's the hardest part about ministry. Preaching's fairly easy until the emails come. Preaching's fairly easy. But, but it's to, to hear, but that's why I'm here. That's what the pastor teacher does. He prays for you. So you don't have to say, I'm sorry to burden you. Here's my burden. That's what you say. It is hard, though. But that's my task. You see, each of these roles that we're going to talk about are wonderful and terrible. That's why they're called roles. Isn't it awesome being a parent? Isn't it also terrible? I mean, 
for real. I, I, I keep, so you guys know that I'm lamenting. My, my daughter's gonna, at her young age of 12, is gonna go off to college next year. She's still 12, she'll perpetually be 12 in my mind. And she's gonna go off, and, and it may be A&M, and uh, don't let me down here, because it's really disappointing when you say A&M, and nobody goes, whoop. It's like saying, Semper Fi. Yeah, th- thank you. <laughs> I always expect that. It, it's, it's, it's precious. Um, but she, she may be going off, and I hear, I'm hearing from a lot of you like, it's hard, I know, but it'll get better. Wait till your grandparent. Do you know why grandparenting is better? Because you can fill them with sugar and send them home. You let them get away with the rules. My grandmother on my mother's side, we weren't, uh, for lots of reasons, there were certain TV shows we weren't allowed to watch. Well, I'd go to my grandmother's house and watch them. I knew all of them. That's <laughs> <laughs> just, you guys know that because that's what grandparents do. Parenting is wonderful and terrible. Pastoring is wonderful and terrible. Being in the church is wonderful, well, and terrible. We've already gone over this section, and and we'll talk more about Timothy's responsibilities later, but I just want you to understand and make it clear at the beginning that this was a very difficult thing on Timothy, and in fact, it creates anxiety issues and stomach issues to the point where Paul actually tells Timothy it might be a good idea to drink a little wine at the end of the day. (laughs) Okay, he obviously wasn't Baptist. Uh, I am regularly mocked for that belief because certainly... They would not be encouraged to drink, to which I say you have not read much of the word because there's a lot of drinking everywhere. That doesn't make it okay. But it's simply understanding that giving somebody a Tylenol PM to help them sleep at night or a glass of wine, it's the same thing. Only one you go to the Walgreens and pay for. The truth is this dude was messed up and that's why he wrote the book. He was scared because ministering to you is a scary, scary thing. Take a deep breath. It's also precious. It's a privilege. Paul then moves on from Timothy, though, and then addresses the overall role of men and women and elders and deacons. As I've already mentioned, if you take time to do an in-depth background study, and this is super important to understanding this text, and how I prepared for this time together is this week I spent more time studying these letters, six New Testament letters and Acts, and looking at what historians say about what's going on in Ephesus at the time, And I came to some conclusions. There are huge verbal fights going on during corporate worship in Ephesus. So let me me tell you generally what happened in a worship service in New Testament church in, in time of Acts. They would often have different people, men, get up and preach the word. And when they got up and preached, in the front, often, the elders would sit. And they would sit in the front because while the person is teaching, they would often interrupt and throw scripture out so that they would respond. It might be during his message or during his talk or after his talk. But you are familiar with this because in Jesus' ministry, often he would go into the synagogue and they would debate with him. That's what they're talking about. He would take the Moses seat and he would stand up and he would minister. And then they would debate him on it. But in the front, often the elders would sit. Those were the people, the men responsible for for providing and protecting the flock. More on that in coming week. But the elder's primary responsibility, which is why we have deacons, was not the welfare of the facility or the building or the finances, but was actually the spiritual welfare of the flock to, to provide and protect the flock from bad doctrine. That was their job. But in Ephesus, whether they stopped doing that, what we do know is that during the worship services, and I'll go ahead and tell you all, and then I'll run through the text. During the worship services, the time of worship, Men were getting up and arguing with these guys. 
they would be behind the elders and they would be standing up arguing with the teachers. That can't be right. Sometimes they would agree, sometimes they would disagree. And anybody who grew up in a small church that had a congregational leadership, remember the business meetings? That's what every worship service looked like. They were yelling at each other, arguments, and even, even there are some that believe that people were starting to get physical with each other. And here's the other part. Oftentimes, and I can't tell you what was happening in this main gathering in Ephesus, but men and women were separate in these times of worship. Christianity has always been unique because Christian, the women in Christianity have always participated in ministry as part of, of learning and growing. In this time of history, especially in Jewish culture, women weren't allowed to go to Jewish school. They weren't allowed to go to Hebrew school. They were not accepted as rabbis. But in the scriptures, we have everything from prophetesses to, uh, to, to women who were involved in discipling, women having churches in their homes. So all over the scriptures, you have women involved in ministries, but here, apparently, they're standing up in the middle of the worship service. They're yelling across to their husbands who are sitting apart from them. They're asking them some questions about what's being taught, and then they themselves are arguing with the person up front. That's what chaos looks like, just like that annual business meeting at Scott Memorial Baptist Church I grew up in. There was a guy, and I've told you this before, but it's still shocking to me. There was a guy at Scott Memorial Baptist Church that every year, and by the way, Scott Memorial Baptist Church is where David Jarrett Jeremiah took over from Tim LaHaye. Most of you are a fan of David Jeremiah. This guy would get up every year and ask for David Jeremiah's resignation. What an idiot. I'm talking about a gathering of 2,000 people with microphones in four or five places, and he would get up in front of the church and ask for his resignation. That is called being a jerk. That's not the forum for that. It's not bringing unity, it's bringing chaos. Imagine if 50 people did that. Or a hundred people did that. That's what's going on apparently in the church of Ephesus. They're all arguing. I'm up here preaching and one guy over here doesn't like it, so he stands up. And somebody over here doesn't like it and they stand up. And then somebody's wife wants to figure it out and her husband's over here, so she yells across the worship center to figure out, is this true or not? That's what's going on in Ephesus. So he addresses this, uh, this battle. First he talks to men. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. This is where we left off. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Stop, take a deep breath. First of all, when it says in every congregation, it doesn't mean every church that ever lifted. Because remember that a gathering, a large corporate gathering of churches at this time did not happen very often. You met in homes and periodically the larger body would gather together. Uh, you are familiar indirectly with this because when Paul writes the letter uh, that we know as Galatians, he writes to the churches of Galatia. And church is not a religious word. It means a gathering. The gathering of the people of Jesus in the region of Galatia. This is the letter for you. Now in Ephesus, he's writing to one large body. So they have organization and structure, or don't and should, and he's going to fix that. But you need to understand that he's not necessarily giving instructions with, for men and women exactly as he lays out here for every church. But this is a problem. It's written to them, but for us. And what happens here is the men are arguing. They're causing controversy. They're disrupting the worship service. And, and they think they're doing God's work, just like our grandparents in our churches growing up. If you walked out of our Scott Memorial Baptist Church uh, World UFC fight that was an annual business meeting, these people were high-fiving each other. They were part of a church that could express their concerns freely. It never, ever was a value. They were arguing about spending money and they were arguing about color of carpet and what they should build and the vision of the church, which really wasn't the responsibility of the congregation. 
That was a responsibility as it, as it relates to the physical plant, to the deacons, and it was responsibility of the elders as far as the vision of the church. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. You're going to see that's how it's laid out in Scripture. And it's how your family is run. Let, let, me, let me run through this. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Let me start by saying that when he says to lift up holy hands, this was not an uncommon thing back in this time. This was, uh, this was Paul's way of telling Timothy that the men of the church have to understand that their lives have to lift up the Lord through their lives, not through their argumentation. Not through arguing. That's how you point people to God. In this church, the people thought that by arguing doctrine, they were getting accomplishing God's work. That is part of the deal, but it's the elders part of the deal. As far as the men of the flock goes, he wants them to surrender their lives to God and live it. Live for God. Don't just be a jerk for God. And you can think back over the last six months and you can see how Christians often think that if you're belligerent and loud and argumentative, they think they're doing God's work. That's what he's speaking against. That's what he's speaking for. If the church is going to be a safe place, you've got to stay in your lane. And if you're not an elder and you're not a deacon, your responsibility is to be a godly man or woman. I know what some of you are thinking. So we're not allowed to engage theology? Yes, you are. Absolutely. That's what Bible study is for. More on that in a few moments. Actually, I'll tell you now. Every one of those Bible studies has an elder-picked shepherd over those who have agreed to the doctrine of the church, to understanding the doctrine of the church. Why? Because this is not a free-for-all for thought. Carpenter's Way in five years is not all of a sudden going to decide that homosexual marriage is okay. Why? Because the word of God is clear and we're going to follow it if there's seven of us left. We are also not going to as a church. And, and those, some of you went, yeah, good, praise God. Well, let me go the other side. We will also never agree with you for some of you, that drinking is a sin because that is never taught in Scripture. It's the abuse of alcohol that's a sin. It's not doing it in moderation. We will always believe that eating too much is a sin. We're not going to change it just because you don't like hearing it. Or we're not going to change it because it's politically incorrect. And there is a role for men. God has created us to spiritually lead through our lives. And i got to tell you something. It gets personal in East Texas because most men were raised in a culture that taught them that religion or godliness is a woman's thing. And that's why there's chaos in the church. Because men don't take it seriously. What is your son going to learn? Seriously, men, we are called to lift up holy hands, not our wives. It's not just the women of the church that are supposed to be intimate with God, it's us. Now, you don't have to become women-like, which I think is part of a mistake of the church through the years, kind of coming on, you know, we're like, we've got, we've got a... a we got a man in this church who's a detective in the Lovkin Police Force, and he and I have been talking a lot, and he's convinced... Or he's confused on what his role is in the church. Why? Because he's a warrior. There's been several at Carpenter's Way. And I'm here to tell you that God doesn't want you to cease to be a warrior just because you're his kids. He wants you to be his warrior. And look, police officers and Marines who come to this, and hunters who come to this with four guns on you right now. As long as you have a concealed weapons license, you're welcome to bring them in here. But let me say this. Nobody is trying to take your guns away from you in the name of God. 
we want you to fulfill your God-given task to protect this flock. Just aim well. We We want you to be the man God created you to be. If you are an artist, be God's artist. So I have to start painting crosses? No. Paint, but direct people to God through your life. When you go on Facebook, you don't have to be a hater of Obama or Trump. Keep your mouth shut. Well, I want people to know. That's because you're drawing people to you and not to God. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. You see, what he's saying here is you point people to God through your prayer. I can't tell you, I only have half the story or a quarter of the story. I can't tell you what's going on. But it is really reasonable to believe that these guys might have been standing up going, I'm going to pray, dear God, for the heretics in this flock and the man preaching, strike him dead. I mean, you can kind of hear that happening. I can't promise you it happened, but it sure looks like he could be saying, lift up your holy hands to God in prayer. Go to God. Men, I'm begging you in 2017, give your lives to God. You want to be a good husband, give your life to God. You want to be a good father, give your life to God. See your wife as your ministry if you're married. See your children as your ministry if you're married. When you come home from work, you do not have the right to sit on the couch and watch the news unless your kids abandon you at 18, going to college. How dare they? You do not have that right. You have the right to go home and finish dinner because your job is to serve your wife. You want her to love you and find you hot? serve her. You want this church to respect you? Don't argue theology. Be a godly man. That's your role. Churches are dysfunctional today because men do not walk with God. And I mean full-blown picking up your cross and following him. By the way, that is really tough. In fact, impossible without the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop with men. He goes on to women. Verses 9 through 15. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach or have authority over men. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived uh, by, uh, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. There are a couple of observations I want to make from this text. First, women in New Testament culture, as I've already said, for the most part, especially in Jewish religious sects, were not allowed to participate in religious education. This is a radically positive statement from Paul to say, I don't want you to remove the women. I want them there. But secondly, verses 11 and 12, two of the most controversial verses in Scripture for the church today, I want us to understand them contextually. Verses 11 and 12. Look at it again. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over men. Let them listen quietly. Within Ephesus, there is reason to believe that the women were engaging in the public theological debate of corporate worship times. Just like the men. This created chaos. Not only was that not the men's role of the church, it wasn't the women's role. It was the elders' responsibility. And it created chaos. There were times when our kids were young. Actually, this wasn't when they were just young. But our kids, uh, our home loves a happy home. And they can feel it intrinsically when I'm not a happy camper 
or when Julie's not, or when there's tension between us because I've done something wrong. <laughs> um, Julie does our budget in our home because as a good manager, I know that I will screw up our budget. Before we got married, I think I did it for three weeks. She took it to a bank and the banker said, let's start over. <laughs> I understand that she's better with budgets than I am and everything we have is the result of her great leadership in that area. Having said that, she likes to involve me sometimes, which is a huge mistake because when I find out there's extra money, there's always a new television to buy. <laughs> if you're married any number of years, especially 50 years, you understand that there are times when you're having a conversation that sounds something like this. And the kids are sitting around. Well, when Zach became around 15 or 16 or even Annie, there are times where they want to get involved in that conversation. Some of you are smiling because you know what I'm talking about. You know, Dad, there's probably a better way to say it to your, mom, to, to your wife. Zach, I brought you into the world and I will take you out. <laughs> it doesn't help, even if they're right. You know what I'm talking about? He stepped out of his lane. There are times when Annie steps out of her lane. There are times when I, who have delegated the finances in our family to her, step out of my lane by wanting to spend money we don't have. It's not my lane. The family only functions in health as we understand our role. That's what he's talking about here. This is chaos. There are false teachers in your midst, and they've got to be dealt with in a proper manner. More on that next week. But we can't have the church fighting with each other over doctrine because it wasn't just people yelling at preachers, it was people yelling at each other. This had turned from a, a blessing, a place of encouragement into a place of absolute chaos where people are fighting for, uh, against each other. And I gotta tell you something. Ladies, you have a powerful ministry that you can't even fathom, you can't understand. And this culture is telling you that it's, it's, it's demeaning. But I gotta tell you something. Your ability, your primary discipleship, your primary ministry role is to raise godly kids. That's your job. There is a connection that Julie has with my kids that I will never have. Um, if you're doubting this, I want you, men, I want you to remember how you felt in the way you didn't say it after the baby was born. It's like the baby's born and mom's having a blast. Oh, she's crying. The baby's laying on her chest. It's eating. And you're like, okay, when's my turn? And you hold the baby and it's like, okay, that's enough. Baby pooped. And you hand it back to the mom. There's something for nine and a half months that mom and that baby has been bonding emotionally and socially. They're connected in a way that we don't until time comes. And I keep trying to tell new fathers that for me, parenting got better as they got older. Communicating, talking, wrestling, playing. Uh, the, listen, the best Christmas, we make a big deal out of baby's first Christmas. We buy a, gifts with that on it. Baby's second Christmas is the best. And then third Christmas is even better. And fourth and fifth. And then you're around 17 and you start running out of things to buy because you can't expend, afford what they want. But the fact is, there's something that gets more exciting as they get older, but there's a connection a mom has with a child. It's your job as you live godly to model godliness. He is not saying here, my pardon to those people in this community who believe it. But he is not saying, ladies, don't dress up. This is a culture. Uh... I'm going to speak high, so I need you to think uh, lofty for a second. But this is a culture whose main goddess, the primary force of worship in the city of Ephesus, was a goddess with three breasts. She was naked from the belly up. It was an incredibly sexual culture. And that was society now. And the women were dressing like society and bringing into the church. And he's trying to say to the church, women, 
as you love Jesus, as you walk with God, as you, as you adorn yourself with more what's inside than out, you will drive people to God. Men, stop arguing. That's not driving people to God. Ladies, drive people to God through your life and your behavior, not just your speech. I'm going to take on the English versions of the Bible here. And I encourage you to go back and study. But this is translated in a culture that's dangerous for the church. This actually doesn't exhort in Greek women to never talk. If you were going to teach that, the fact is from a Jewish culture, they could not talk to anybody in the church on a given day of worship over the age of 13. Remember that boys become men at 13. This can't be forbidding women from talking at church. It can't be. Why? Because all over the New Testament, and, I, and I've already mentioned some, you have uh, Jesus tells Mary Magdalene to go tell the disciples that he's risen from the dead. He tells uh, the woman at the well to go tell the people what she's seen, that the Messiah is here. Uh, you have Paul exhorting Priscilla, who discipled Apollos, a major theological character in the New Testament. You have prophetesses mentioned. You have women being exhorted by Paul to lift up holy hands and worship in 1 Corinthians. Here's the deal. It can't mean that women can't talk in church. That's bad, that's bad exegesis. It's bad biblical study. What it means is we got to stop fighting here. You've got to stay in your lane. Understand, ladies, that you have a potential discipling ministry like an elder with your own children. Men, quit starting fights and live for God. He's actually telling the men and the women the same thing. And then he goes on, and this is what really nailed this down for me. Chapter 3, verse 1, the very next verse is, it's a good thing to want to be an elder, but not everybody should be one. You know why he says that in the very next verse? Because the men and women were acting like elders. The point is, and we'll get on elder, and I do believe eldership is male, and I'll explain it next week, so you can go ahead and bring your swords. But I'm simply telling you that the role of men and women in the church has not been reduced by Scripture. He's just telling you to live for God in your lane. The church becomes chaotic when everybody wants to do everything. And I got news for you. It doesn't work. Remember when that lady sang that song that she couldn't sing because she had no gift of music? And everybody went up after church and told her how wonderful she was? That's called lying. She shouldn't be singing. We're not doing anybody a favor by substituting truth with what we call love. It creates chaos. It's Noah's Ark. It may be full of crap, but it is the only thing that floats. So keep shoveling. Yes. Your next pastor will not say that word. <laughs> keep shoveling. Keep shoveling or we're going to fill this place up with junk. Keep shoveling. Well, how do I shovel? Stay in your lane. Go to Bible study. Bible study is your place. Go discuss it. It's a free forum. But we have strict rules. The word of God is final authority. Let me be clear. Final authority. I was accused last year of worshiping the Bible. Let me be clear. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word came and dwelt among us. Do I worship the Bible? No, I worship the word of God. Not the book, but the one. That's why we study. That's why we understand, because we keep taking it out of context to meet our preconceived ideas instead of that which is really written. And I encourage you today, ladies, 
fulfill your role. I know you're tired. I know you look at that two-year-old satanic demon-possessed child and you wonder if it's possible for God to save him, will he raise the dead and he'll raise that child. (laughs) Don't give up. I want to remind you that at the end it says stay in your faithfulness and your goodness and your love, just like he told Timothy. Stay faithful. Stay the course. I know you're tired. I get tired of praying for people. Isn't that terrible for a pastor to say? Men, quit letting your wife do that. Walk with God. There's no excuse for it. And the church will never be a safe place unless the men rise up and do their job. Walk with God. Ladies, walk with God. Pastors, walk with God. Do your job. Stay in your lane. Next week, we'll talk about elders and deacons. It's a good thing to be an elder, but not everybody should pursue it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text. And we hear the storm outside of the boat. We hear the wind. And sometimes some of the rain makes it through the cracks. We feel the water. We get scared. Lord Jesus, help us put our eyes on you. Thank you for allowing us to live at such a wonderful time, to serve at such a wonderful time. Thank you for the gift of the church, and I pray that you would help us to find this thing safe and beautiful and precious. May we do church the way that you invented it to be done. We do love you. I know that there are probably things that I said today that made you just go, no, that's not what I meant. That's okay. The fact is that together, as individuals, we will decide what the church is going to be based upon what we decide to do with you personally. So I pray that every man and woman that is a part of this church would surrender themselves to you 100%. And in that, you will change our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in five minutes.